Today's episode for our podcast is all about women's hormone health and how phytotherapy can help boost and support reproductive vitality, alongside having a positive effect on supporting fertility through various contributory herbal and naturopathic factors for optimal women's health. So in today's podcast, I'm here and joined by Katie, a qualified medical herbalist and a member of the technical team here at Phytomed. Hi, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're excited um, for you here today, joining us on this very relevant topic, discussing healthy reproductive health and how phytotherapy and other essential factors, such as lifestyle and dietary aspects, provide a whole holistic approach that can help boost and support women's hormonal health. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. It's a big topic, but I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, well, we're going to kickstart off with some hormone chat. We're just going to chat about some common hormonal conditions such as endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, insulin issues, fibroids, exercise and IBD. Um, This could be a much more extensive list, but we're just going to dive in with those few to start with. They're pretty big topics all on their own. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. Yeah, they are. Uh, To be fair to our practitioners today, welcome to all of you and I'm sure that this topic is one that you're, is very relevant to all of you if you're in clinic setting and if not in clinic, um, for in households. Um, it's a topic that seems to um, touch everyone at some point in their life so they know of someone that, that is you know, impaired or struggle, struggling with hormone conditions like endo, um, PCOS or even IBD. These all have the ability to impact reproductive health and women's health as a whole. And the one common denominator between them all is inflammation. Not a new concept by any means, but that generally is the systemic driver, is driving that inflammation process and pathways day after day. So essentially driving a pain condition. So if we are constantly overstimulating the inflammatory pathway, essentially we're activating and overstimulating constant amount of inflammatory molecules such as cytokines or tumor necrosis factor and the genetic expression enhancing molecule NFKB. Um, This activates and causes more interleukin um, receptors to be stimulated and cause an imbalance in these and actually floods them into the inflammatory pathway. All of these can be good in moderation just like anything Mm. but it's the excess that drives, essentially drives the craziness, it drives that chronic condition and therefore creating that long-term detrimental effect. So these are some of the regular molecule offenders when it comes to increasing or encouraging chronic grade inflammation and that's what all these conditions typically have in common. So endo and IBD have more in common than what they seem to represent just at face value. They're both driven by systemic inflammation. Other factors come into play here obviously like high or or, um, imbalanced estrogen or progesterone or even androgen levels such as testosterone are at play here, especially in polycystic ovary syndrome and endo. Estrogen clearance is often a problem here for both disorders and genetic influences may have a role to play here. And we know that certain enzymes may be deficient and liver detoxification pathways also tend to bear the brunt here um, as they're really important for clearing excessive estrogen. If it gets stuck in the body and continues to recycle, then that also contributes to to already high levels of um, estrogen in the body and that high excessive estrogen load. So what can we do here? Well, we're going to discuss a whole lot of herbs to help with liver support, to help with help with hormone health, which interconnects obviously with reproductive health along the way. So those herbs are estrogen and progesterone balancing herbs for hormonal equilibrium and symptomatic pain relief, both acutely and chronically, as we know these conditions 
are chronic for a lot of people, but also they acutely cause a lot of pain and, and chronically for people that suffer with them day in, day out. But we know that there are lots of phytotherapy options here, and that's the good news today. <laughs> and I'm sure all of you out there listening today are already doing a lot of these herbs and um, are seeing people that are benefiting from these herbs and have your own case studies and stories that you could share with us. Uh, the chase tree, peony and licorice, milk thistle and globe. And we will go through their main actions and affinities soon. And also those polycystic ovary syndrome, insulin-supporting herbs such as cinnamon, um, bitter melon, and also milk thistle, which is our big liver herb, but also really important for insulin protection and maintenance and support on that release and balance from the pancreas. So just before Katie jumps in and tells us more about the environmental toxins and dietary and lifestyle aspects, we're just going to take a little peek insight into hormonal balances, particularly in women, and what are the main contributing factors here. Uh, we know both emotional and physical stress, they both exert negative long-term effects on the HPA axis, so the hypopituitary axis, through overactivation of sex hormones such as cortisol. And we know that overstimulation of cortisol long-term ends to adrenal burnout. And we need cortisol just as much as we need anything, but just not in massive amounts for long periods of time. Then it turns on us rather than helps us. So when we once needed it to run from lions, it was really important to us. But now we're not needing to do that so much anymore, but we're running away from daily stress. So still we can actually activate that circuit because our body doesn't know the difference between running away from a lion or having a stress from, from work or family or, or relationship stress. So all of this can result in cortisol deficiency, which obviously affects more than our adrenal system. It affects our thyroid function. And both of these are essential for, for not only reproductive health, but cellular, daily cellular health. Diet and lifestyle, which Katie is going to fill us in a little bit more about, also affect, uh, affect us hugely, as we would all know here today, because as a naturopath and herbalist, we're dealing with that daily in clinic, aren't we? It's not just the herbs that we talk about, it's other things that come into the people's lifestyles so much and play a pivotal role. And we know that there are essential everyday factors that affect fertility health, and these range from lifestyle, age, dietary, emotional, physical, stress, nutritional deficiencies, and vitamin deficiencies such as zinc, fatty acids, our antioxidants, when our soils are low in selenium, iodine is hard to come by for a lot of us. And our vitamin C status is also important, not only for females, but males too, if we're looking at the whole picture. Um, but Katie today, she is going to touch on a bit more. So Katie, um, you know, please jump in and join us and tell us a little bit more about diet, environmental toxins, digestive health and vitamin D and anything else that you're going to add into <laughs> add into the mix. Thanks Charlene. Well, as you've already touched on, liver health and food intake have significant impact on physical well-being and reproductive health. The digestive system, we know it's directly implicated when we consider optimal food utilisation, waste removal, and then the interaction between the microbiome and estrogen balance is really important. And then we've got excess circulating hormones. We have to think, how are they being removed from the body and what imbalance are they causing if they aren't removed efficiently? A lot of this comes back to the basics that we'll know as naturopaths. We're looking at the whole picture. We want to ensure that there's plenty of fibre in the diet. We want to make sure that there's lots of clean, fresh water, and that the liver's needs are actually being met so that the detoxification pathways and the processing can really occur. This is going to call for B vitamins. We need glutathione, calcium, vitamin D. We need all those beautiful cruciferous and sulfuric vegetables. And then typically some sort of meat for the conjugation pathways. 
Uh, for people who choose not to eat animal products, this might mean a focus on high-protein plant foods. We have to come back to, though, we need to be able to assimilate them. The digestive system has to be working sufficiently to break it down so we get that goodness. To get everything we need from food, it is really difficult. It is really hard this, these days. We need to make sure there's good quality soil that the food's been grown in. We want whole foods or foods as close to their natural form as possible. And we want organic, spray-free, antibiotic-free, free-range options. They're also beneficial because immediately we're reducing the burden from sprays and chemical additives. It's one less thing that the liver has to process. The better it functions, the better we're going to feel, the more balanced our hormones are going to be. So you've listed some beautiful liver support herbs there already, Charlene, and together with food, it's a really great way just to give your liver a hand, just to process those excess hormones and remove them from circulation. Another thing that's really important for us to consider is environmental toxins. We know a lot about them as herbalists, as naturopaths. Some of these are within our control. We can control if we use perfumes, moisturisers, household cleaners. Other things aren't in our control. And that can be really overwhelming, I think, for clients. Learning about all of the things we're exposed to, it can be really stressful. And we don't want to add any stress to the picture. How we can mitigate our exposure is the next best option to completely avoiding it and getting stressed about it. And this gives us power back. So we can look at a high antioxidant diet. We want to include all those omega-3 fatty acids, their beautiful cellular protection and repair. And we want to be getting plenty of time in nature. This is crucial. People don't realise how important it is to just be out barefoot in nature. Um, We need to be doing the grounding. The electromagnetic rebalance after spending the day in front of a screen It is so important for our body and we need to be exposed to the different biomes as well because the more diverse our microbiome is, the better our health is going to be. When we think of vitamin D, coming out of winter, our stores naturally decline. We want to be in direct sun exposure for a sensible amount of time. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's a good little tip to add. We need to be careful of extreme UV rays here in New Zealand. But like you Absolutely. say, it's, it's actually essential for our health too. We need some sun exposure, right, to activate vitamin D. That's right. And we need direct Serotonin. exposure as well. So sunblock is amazing, but it also blocks us uptaking some of that vitamin D. And that's really important for our liver function, for our reproductive health. And it plays a big role in conception and fetal development as well. Uh, Lack of vitamin D, it often happens with women. We naturally have lower vitamin D stores comparative to men. And it can disturb the menstrual cycle. It can cause more intense periods or it can cause less frequent periods. Yeah, no, it's a big important one. It's not just for mood and it's not just for immune, is it? It has all these other wonderful uh, affinities for women's health as well. Absolutely, and I think that's where looking at the whole picture is really important, and that's what we do. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very naturopathic approach. That's essentially (laughs) the holistic approach, isn't it, to to care, for client care, for for a better outcome. I love your touching on time and nature. I think that's... 
that's something that is just a given but so easily forgotten. It can be 10, 20 minutes, I mean, whatever or more, whatever you can, you know, squeeze in on a weekly basis or a daily basis, just wherever it suits you best, whatever makes that possible, right? Definitely. And especially coming out of winter, I think we are spending so much time indoors breathing in the same air (laughs) over and over again (laughs) exactly and it's so important now we're into spring even if it's Mm. raining even if it's not ideal still get outside it's really important enjoy some fresh air enjoy the fresh spring flowers the blooms the trees everything that's around you it's simple and it's free (laughs) (laughs) those are all good points and also we know through research and very recent clinicals that Children that attend daycare or kindergartens where they have outdoor play, where they get to play in the soil and like you have also stated, get exposure to different microbiomes. So microorganisms in the soil are actually build a healthier immune system, have less of a reactive immune response. Of course, there's genetic influences that can come into play here. But but largely, you know, studies are showing very positive results on children that spend more time, yeah. you know, with with micro, natural microorganisms. And in dirt. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the whole simple dirt. And when we think about all of the sterilising we've all recently been through, all of the antibiotic use, the antiseptic use, if you can expose yourself to different biomes, it's really important. Yeah, it's, it's beneficial for us. And also research shows people recovering not only from drug addiction, from mental health issues, or just burnout, recover faster and better when they're in nature. Because there's something about nature that probably it's where we come from, you know, a large part of us knows that right. or is aligned with that, isn't it? Because it seems to re- relax certain central nervous system pathways, GABA receptors, serotonin, it seems to have a really positive response on all our neurotransmitters that govern relaxation and the central nervous system. That's right. So love that tip for <laughs> for today and hopefully one that we can remember. I think it's one that we all know, but it's just one of those really little important Reminders. Exactly. Yeah, little (laughs) conversation tips that always is helpful for for all of us in our day-to-day lives. We tend to be so busy, especially as we gear up towards the end of the year, right? This is a crazy time of of the year where, you know, it's called the silly season um, and we all try to not get involved in that. But it's quite hard and I think it's stressful to some degree for everyone, even if we really love enjoying the Christmas bliss in the end of the year. It still has its stresses along the way towards the wrap up, right? That's so. right. Everything's sort of trying to be finished off before you can go and relax. <laughs> yeah, so it's an important de-stressor, not only for women's health, but everyday health. So if you could talk a bit more and tell us a bit more on the impact on mood, the menstrual cycle, fatigue levels, and just the emotional and physical stresses that can impact on women's health and just hormonal health in general. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The thing is, we really can't overlook the role of stress in reproductive health and general health. The impact of stress at a biological level on the HPA axis, the role of cortisol that you've outlined, and the knock-on effect in terms of nutrient depletion, it impacts all of our body systems. We know that women tend to carry stress differently to men, and they often carry more stress as a result. So this is work, family, the mental load. Dr. Libby talks about that a lot, carrying the mental load for the entire family. Um, The schedule, the commitments, the birthday presents. We tend to hold a lot of stress. The physician, Gabor Maté, I really love listening to his work. He does a lot in the uh, trauma area as well. 
but he describes women as absorbing stress from their partners as well to try and maintain harmony in the house. So there's really a lot going on and sometimes our clients don't really realise the impact or the knock-on effect that that's having. We know that if we're stressed, our sleep is going to go out of balance. We're utilising many more nutrients that we're often not replacing and our mental health and our physical health are going to suffer. In terms of inflammation that you've outlined, it plays a huge role. Stress is a huge trigger for inflammation and inflammatory conditions. And women have a tendency to have a higher likelihood of developing an autoimmune condition than men. Chronic stress. Chronic stress has also been shown to reduce cannabinoid receptor type 1, so that's CB1, and it reduces the signaling that happens. One of the most numerous locations for CB1 and CB2 receptors is actually throughout the uterus. So we need these receptors to be functioning sufficiently to regulate that inflammation and to regulate pain. Women with endometriosis have fewer CB1 receptors than women without endometriosis. So straight away, pain management is impaired. The endocannabinoids that we would rely upon, the ones our body produce to signal for pain to stop, are not functioning sufficiently in endometriosis. So straight away you've got a massive pain picture and an inflammation picture. CB1 and CB2 receptors, they're also present in the ovary. They influence follicular development and they play a massive role in reproduction. So it's just looking at inflammation and how we can manage that and how much of an effect it has on our entire body. Yeah, thanks, Katie. That That's great. There's cannabinoid receptor information. We know they have so much. Well, we are discovering, aren't we, at the moment, how much they help with pain relief. And that helps make such sense in those chronic hormonal conditions with endo. Definitely. Um, that there's less receptor sites, so pain relief is less well managed just naturally. So you're already, you know, finding a footstep behind, aren't you? It's already that's difficult it. for you. Yeah, that's right. And then we think about, you know, physical stress. And mm. uh, we think about people who are doing intensive exercise or restricting food. Um, we think about exhaustion, viral illnesses, poor living conditions, and these things are all going to have an impact as well directly on menstruation and therefore reproductive health. Um I think it's become common for women to accept suboptimal period health. Um, it's sort of there's an expectation that clotting or pain or low energy and mood swings are normal when really they're not. And I think even acknowledging that is really important. On the flip side, we get athletes who may go months without a period at all. And usually we surround ourselves with like people. So if you've got multiple people in your friend group or in your exercise group who are all experiencing the same thing, we tend to normalise it and we tend to think, oh, well, that's okay because other people are getting the same thing. When really it's such an important sign that there's a real imbalance going on. It is important worth noting as well that healthy menstrual cycles, they're about more than just pregnancy. It's a real indicator for our overall female health. 
Yeah, that's a great note, Katie. It is, isn't it? It's a real sign of how well your body homeostasis is, right? Or how well hormonal function is. Absolutely. So it's really about everyday vitality and well-being, isn't it? Not just women's health. Because if you have great well-being and vitality every day, that's going to bring you good good hormonal health, isn't it? That's right. No system is separate to better. (laughs) Yeah. No, everything is all intertwined at some point. So let's go through some of the key phytotherapy herds. I've got a few here I'm going to share with you. Then Katie's got a few more she's going to share with you. So I'm going to kick it off with one of the most famous ones that everyone's going to know that is listening today, Chase Tree. (laughs) Good old Chase Tree. But um, it is a bit of a superstar and very well known. Um, I think if we all had to pick one, that's the first on everyone's lips normally. Mm -hmm. Um, But for good reason. It's a powerful acting herb on hormone support. It acts on progesterone and estrogen balance. It's a true hormone modulator. When we talk about these really common uh, hormonal conditions or increasingly common hormonal conditions, such as endometrius and um, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, where you may have high estrogen or high hormone loads, and low e- progesterone can be at the heart of those. This is the ideal candidate for helping in that way and helping with achieving balanced hormone production. The next one is a New Zealand native. This one's a little bit outside the box. Um, we're putting it in there because it's a great New Zealand native to help with heavy bleeding. And sometimes when you have imbalanced hormonal health, this can be a real symptom, but also you could say it really impacts on people's daily lives to have menorrhea. And it's also a powerful antioxidant for cellular health, Tanakaha. So helping support and recovery and management of conditions such as endo and PCOS. Peony. Now, we can't mention peony without adding licorice in because mm-hmm. these two live together. They're like a husband and wife team, a, a happy one. <laughs> um, so they, they tend to have great affinity for each other. So licorice is great for healthy hormones. Um, yes, we know it's great for as an antiviral. We know it's fantastic for adrenal support. And how it helps is it helps in reduction of cortisol, but it also helps in progesterone and helping excessive androgens or excessive estrogens in the body so it's a powerful herb in its own right for hormonal health and when combined with peony the beautiful peony peony has a slight muscle relaxant fit so it can help with pain relief it also in its own right is well known for women's health and reproduction alongside licorice so the use of these two is well known to help with a balanced hormone approach for women's health now katie's going to fill us in with a couple more So we'll kick off with Damiana. We know that that one's a beautiful nervine tonic. It's great for the libido and it's really important for impotence um, in both men and women. But another nice one for anxiety and nervous stability as well. I think another favourite would be Tribulus. I think we all know that one. It's estrogenic tonic for women, male for infertility and impotence. Also really good for fatigue and for stress. And one of our favourite herbs across the board, withania. Amazing for adrenal health, a male tonic, beautiful for healthy sperm production, and it's going to help support us with stress and adrenal function. Thanks, Katie. Um, All really relevant info. Now, just as we wrap up here for the podcast for today, I'm just picking out a couple key points for us today. Um, that hopefully can just be a lovely ending for today's podcast. 
and just be a little bit of um, extra information for everyone listening today. The ginsengs are great for mental and physical fatigue. Um, so they're great for people that might need a bit of energy boosting, which is sometimes happen when you're suffering from exhaustion from ongoing chronic conditions and hormonal conditions fall into that realm as well. So we know that we've got regulating herbs like the cohoshes are shatavari, tribulus, peony and licorice. Don't forget our beautiful chase tree. <laughs> I'm sure we all won't. That, that one is forever ingrained in our mind as being a top, uh, top super herb for hormonal health. But we know the overall importance, lastly, but certainly not leastly, of addressing the whole body system and from a holistic point of view, including the nervous system, the hormone, reproductive system, all of these, including the adrenal and thyroid, are part of the overall picture for a better and more supportive balance of homeostasis for the whole the whole body. So it's not just about hormonal herbs when you're treating hormones. Yes, we've got some beautiful hormonal herbs to choose from, but it's about the case, the particular person you're treating, what else they need to help them achieve a better state of health and an overall picture of vitality on their on their pathway to well-being and recovery, hopefully. Katie, what would you like to add in as your final words for today's podcast and some key tips? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just going back to remembering that the body is a collective system. And when we're talking about hormonal imbalances, it's usually the result of other systems that have been overburdened. So if we can help those systems out, then we can re-regulate our hormones. It's often a case of making small but consistent changes and that's going to help play a beautiful role to re-establish that synergy of the body working together and um, homeostasis. Thanks, Katie. I think that's a really beautiful note to end on today. Homeostasis. We're all working to achieve that on a daily basis. Absolutely. (laughs) Whether it's women's health or anything else um, and, and just as part of everyday life. So thanks, everyone, for being part of today's discussion on achieving and supporting hormonal health. Uh, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you, Katie, for being here. Thank you for having me. us a bit more about these hormonal herbs and all the things that contribute. Xenobiotics, we know, are a huge part of hormonal health and everyday health as well. And we look forward to bringing you all a lot more um, in our next Herb Talk podcast. We will see you all soon. Kaikiti Ano from the Phytomed team. Take care. Thanks again, Katie. Thank you. Thank you.